Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to another episode of the Intuitive Customer Podcast um, with myself, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton, person that's extremely intelligent, who works at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, thanks, you? Colin. That's actually on my business cards. <laughs> I'm surprised you can get that much in there. Well, I find that if I don't tell people, then sometimes they don't know, which is really annoying. <laughs> you should have a badge or something like that. Really should. Yeah, or maybe just yeah. I'm stupid, or, or no, no. I'm I'm with this intelligent person. Maybe we need a, a, a jumper. I'll just or a, bring you around with me as my on-the-spot publicist. You can subtly let people know. It'll work out. It'll be fun. absolutely. Yeah, that would be the best way of doing it. So, so we're going to test some of that intelligence today, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, because today's podcast is. Um, about how do we convince people of new ways of thinking, okay? Um, and this is a subject that's near and dear to my heart um, because, um, uh, kindly, um, we have been called thought leaders in the subject of customer experience by other people. So by definition, uh, we're you know always thinking of new things, and the challenge is sometimes getting over those thoughts to people. So let me give you a, a prime example of this and then let's kick it around, uh, Ryan. Um, so we do this piece of research which we call an emotional signature, which effectively looks at uh, what drives value for an organization. And the really interesting thing about this, and I'm not gonna go on about it too, uh, too much, um, if you're interested, go to our website and you'll see a, um, um, a page there on it. Um, but what it does is it's a new piece of research that uses a different form of math that basically produces a different result. So the issue becomes this. We stand up in front of a group of um, uh, people, senior. I was about to say senior people, but it could be any people, actually. And we spend the first hour just trying to convince people about the data, uh, how many people we did, um, you know, blah, 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 blah. What's the math? How does it work? And why is that the case? Because invariably it doesn't tell them the answer that they want to hear. It tells <laughs> them something different. Um, and it really has sort of become a bit of a bit of a hurdle. And we now use uh, what we're going to talk about. You know, we talk to people about confirmation bias um, before we actually do the presentation now to, to, to effectively say, Look, this is what you're going to experience, basically. Um, but the challenge always is in an organization is how do you get people to think about the world from a different uh, perspective? So may maybe, Ryan, you just talk, um, tell us a bit about what confirmation bias is and, and then we can uh, we can talk about some other examples. Sure. Um, maybe we can back up a little bit to the, the question that you used to open uh, yep. the podcast, which was how can we get people to think about things in a different way from the way they've been thinking about them before. 
we should we should caveat this by saying it's really hard. I mean, this getting people to to back away from their convictions and kind of be open to new uh, data, new approaches, new ways of thinking about things. Um, confirmation bias is one of the most reliable effects in human psychology. Uh, people are just wired to dig in on what they believe, what they think they believe. Um, and shut down to other types of information. So we're going to explain what confirmation bias is um, and some things that we can do to uh, to kind of get around it. Colin already hinted at one of the approaches that uh, he's found useful. But we should acknowledge up front, it's, it's a really challenging problem um, yep. to get people to look at things differently. So now that I've hedged on that, um, let's dive in. Uh, confirmation bias uh, uh, describes a couple of different um phenomena uh, biases that that influence people um the the two most common ones uh, you might call um screening and motivated reasoning so uh, screening describes the idea that when we hold a position when we have a belief um we will tend to seek out information that supports the belief and ignore or screen out information that is inconsistent with the belief Right. So this has been studied a lot in the domain of politics, where you'll find that conservatives tend to listen to conservative television and radio stations and read conservative websites and newspapers. Liberals tend to do the opposite, stick to just sources that uh, espouse a liberal point of view. And so nobody's ever challenged. Nobody has to, to confront information that is inconsistent because we screen out information that, that we don't like. Um, this has been shown in business contexts. They, um, there's a study where the researchers um, asked people to kind of form an opinion about, I think it was in a merger and acquisition setting, um, form an opinion about whether the merger should go through or not. And then they gave them access to additional information. Um, now, what you should do if you're rational, if you're smart, if you think, for instance, the merger should go through, you should seek out that information that specifically argues that it should not. Right. Because that will make sure that you are being thorough, that you are correct. That's not what people do. They seek out information that is consistent with what they already believe. So that that's one type of uh, confirmation bias you need to worry about screening. So, so let me in fact, jump in, please. Let me yeah, let me just jump in here, because I, I, I think the important thing is, is, again, it's like the so what. So yeah. what's the problem here? Uh, and for me, the problem is that, you know, you, you're, you can be blindsided by new data. You can not see the insights of what customers are, what's really driving their behavior or what's really will drive their purchase. You, you, if you, you think about the same things, it's a bit like diversity. The great thing about diversity is you get a, you know, diversity of opinions and views. And, uh, we've talked in previous podcasts about social norms and, you know, so getting people from different parts of the world to, to contribute helps, you know, because you get a different view of the world. So I think the issue is that unless you solve this, you, you are in danger of, doing the same things all the time and you know for me it's, it's, it's that i love the phrase you know the definition of madness is doing the same thing and expecting a different result um you know if 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 your net promoter if if your customer satisfaction is plateauing you need new thinking uh if yep. your company is going down the pan 
you need new thinking. Uh, it's whether uh, people are prepared to listen to that new thinking and, and take it on board, I think, is is the key key behind it. Absolutely right. I mean, in terms of implications of this, that's one, right, is that you yourself are vulnerable to this. So knowing that, what are you going to do about it to try to fix it? Because we, we are all susceptible to this. And so um, if we have a belief about the way things are going or if we were responsible for implementing the last program that, um, you know, that was to address this problem, we should know that we are going to be actively screening out information that would suggest that that new program that we implemented is a bad idea because uh, yeah. that's just the way that we're wired. Another implication of this is that, you know, your customers are also susceptible to this. So if you are going to try to flip um, your competitors, customers, you're going to try to go out and, and steal customers from your competitor. Some of those customers are loyal to that other brand, which means providing them with, information that objectively shows that your brand is better might not be enough because they might screen that out. They might not want to hear it because they already believe something different. Sure. Sure. So you were saying that, that we have screening and what was the, the second one that you, you were going to talk about? The other flavor of confirmation bias, um, as I kind of categorize them, uh, is motivated reasoning. Um, and that's the idea that we, we tend to kind of even if we get access to this information, so even if it's somehow we, we, we accidentally stumble across information, we tend to want to kind of reinterpret it um, or justify it or, or move away from it um, in such a way that it it kind of leaves us able to uh, stick with what we wanted in the first place. Uh, so there are some famous studies on this um, in the consumer domain. They, they, I'll generalize first. They, they tend to show that once a person is leaning in the direction of a particular course of action or liking a particular brand or something like that, then they tend to continue to lean more and more in that direction. So one of these studies um, uh, done by a guy named Jay Russo at, uh, uh, at Cornell, he gave some people a little bit of initial information about, I think it was two different backpacks, and he made one of them a little bit more positive than the other. Um, I think he told them that the, this brand of backpack was actually in, uh, invented by a Cornell alum, alumni. Uh, so that made them like backpack A a little bit more than backpack B. Um, but then he kept giving them more and more information about the two backpacks. Um, and what he did is he stacked the deck so that initially they were kind of equivalent in terms of overall quality. But one, you know, you had this emotional attachment to. And as he gave you more and more information about the backpacks, objectively, the other backpack became better. So that by the end, after you saw all the information about both the backpacks, it was pretty clear that whatever B was better than A. But because you had formed that initial attachment, because you started leaning in that direction initially, the more information they, that he gave, the more and more biased you became against the actual information. And so you kind of reasoned your way out of it and people actually became had stronger and stronger preferences for backpack a the more information they got even though the objective information should have led them in the other direction so that that's motivated reasoning once i'm leaning in a direction i'm just going to keep leaning in that direction more and more over time the intuitive customer podcast is brought to you by beyond philosophy since 2002, Beyond Philosophy has been helping organizations improve their customer experience through their consulting, training, and research services. 
Find out more at beyondphilosophy.com. That's beyondphilosophy.com. How do you go about um, changing people's, you know, um, the way that they think about it? How do you go about convincing uh, the people? People to Unfortunately, do. we're out of time, Colin. So we got to go. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's really hard. Um, so we've we've mentioned one in passing, or you mentioned one in passing. Yeah. Um, diversity. There's a lot of lip service paid to diversity and the benefits of diversity. Empirically, diversity helps overcome confirmation bias. Um, specifically, diversity of opinion. So that same study I referenced earlier. Uh, where they had people um, looking at the merger and acquisition and what information do you acquire. If you were put in a group where even one person had the other opinion, all of a sudden, all of the screening effect biases went away. Now, all of a sudden, everybody in the group was reading information on both sides. Um, And in fact, uh, you even became kind of anti-biased. So people actually sought out disconfirming information a little bit more than they would have by chance. Um, so getting people in the group who disagree, absolutely vital for overcoming this. Yeah. And so a, a, a couple of things that I've used uh, in the past that, that I've I've found helpful uh, and building on what you were just saying, Ryan. So uh, there's the, there's this whole thing about um, six degrees of separation. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever gone into sort of um, um, not just social networking, but, you know, who has power in an organization yeah. and who do people listen to? And it doesn't necessarily it's not necessarily hierarchical. Um, no, so it's, it's usually the uh, the president's executive assistant. Like yeah. That person seems to be the secret engine driving the entire. Yeah. Movie. Yeah, so oftentimes with our clients, we will sit down with them as we, you know, because classically what happens with customer experience is, um, and the phrase I often use is, you know, everyone's happy till they ask you to do something. And you <laughs> right. ask them to do something, yeah? So, you know, um, and another phrase that, uh, you know, somebody said to me once was, you know, which executive in their right mind would say that putting customers first is the wrong thing to do? Right. Um, you know, and no one's going to say that. The The issue becomes when you want to now make the change, you know, do people buy into it? And one of the things that we uh, do with clients is help them draw up a map of where the influences lay. And again, it may not be hierarchical, but could be with the executive assistants. So spending time uh, talking to them spending time convincing them spending time um uh, one of the most powerful things i've learned is drawing parallels um or for people's sort of everyday life so you know we're we're always up against it because we're talking about customer emotions and that's not necessarily what organizations like to talk about but when you start to to i tell people that you can you know, emotions make rational, um, emotions drive decision making, et cetera, et cetera. And then you start relating it to their personal life. They can start to see to see the light. So I think some of it is that taking the time bit um, and, you know, showing them how it works and how it can 
uh, applied to them, I think is um, is a key thing. The the other thing, and sorry if I'm waffling here for a moment, but uh, these these thoughts just come to my brain. Um, the other thing is getting them to present the opposite ar- argument. So yep. turning around to someone in the team and go, here's you know what we always think traditionally. We want you to tell us stand up and present to us on you know why we're wrong and and um back in the day i worked with a uh, an organization in england called yorkshire water um which um are a water company um um surprisingly and guess where they're based <laughs> um i'm guess bad at geography you, uh, yeah uh, no well yorkshire water are based in yorkshire so there you go um oh, now that you say it I should have, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they've got a, they obviously had a really, um, uh, they obviously had a really innovative marketing group. Yeah, what you um, don't know is they spent $2 million uh, to a branding agency to come up with that. <laughs> That's right, absolutely. But the, the word they used in the culture in that organization was they used the word challenge. So they didn't used to say, you're wrong or, I think that's incorrect mm. or, or whatever. They used to say, I'd like to challenge that thinking. And it was just, I, oh, that's I really, nice. yeah, I really found it a really interesting way of engendering debate without taking the other view and being confrontational and not wishing to be confrontational. It's like the challenging, the whole sort of challenging uh, concept. But um I, I think the other thing for me that that's key here is just telling people about this stuff and letting them know that this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, whether it's politics or whatever, it's forcing yourself into thinking and reading and trying to understand the other person's perspective, I think, is is key, um, particularly in the customer experience field. Um and sorry, I'm 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 just on a roll here. Uh, no, I, no, I, no. I, I can I can remember, you know, when you start to talk about that, it's um, um, people are driven by different things. So if you're going in there saying we should be doing this because of this, 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 and this, and this will improve customer experience uh, because of that, yeah. What you're not realizing is the pressures the measures and the problems that those other people have got, which again forces them into thinking the way that they do. So understanding, for example, that what this senior executive has been told to cut their organization by 20% by the end of the year, you know, and if they don't, they're going to get the sack. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. it, it focuses that senior exec's mind on doing it. Okay? Yeah. Um, and, and what do you do when you're under pressure? You revert to type. Um, yep. and therefore if your type is, well, this has worked for me for the last 20 years and this is what I'm going to do. Somebody coming from left field and going, well, look, have you thought about it from this way? Um, you've also got to think about how to position that and how it would, would help that individual in, in, in their challenges. Do, does that make sense? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think if, if I were to, to kind of, paraphrase or recharacterize what you're saying um some of it's about kind of providing that motivation for change so making change feel safer 
bringing it closer to the decision maker so that, um, you know, it, to your point, a lot of a lot of change just feels like potential pain um, to the person yeah. involved. Right. So, oh, this is this is a great idea that you've got. Oh, gosh, could all of the things I'm going to need to do differently. I'm going to need all these new processes and I need to make all these new changes. Um, and the benefits can seem kind of diffuse, like, well, yeah, hopefully that'll improve customer experience at some point. If you can reframe that in such a way that you emphasize the benefits more, um, then that should get people more motivated and should make them more willing to break out of their um, kind of uh, confirmation bias way of thinking. Uh, yeah. I think the other point that you raised, uh, which has absolutely gotten empirical support, is the importance of um, playing devil's advocate or of taking a different perspective. That same uh, study I referenced earlier found that the best way to debias was having somebody in the room who actually disagreed. But yeah. the second best way was to assign somebody to counter-argue, to have somebody play the devil's advocate. That reduced almost all of the bias. Um, and so, yeah, taking that other perspective or assigning someone to uh, take the other point of view um, can be really powerful uh, in terms of reducing that bias. We're so pleased that you're listening to this episode of The Intuitive Customer. As a listener, we want to offer you a free download of Colin's ebook, Unlocking the Hidden Customer Experience. Take advantage of this free offer being made available only to listeners of this podcast. Do it now. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast and follow the link for the free book. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. Yeah, uh, and again, this part of the problem. The the opposite is the case. And, and what I mean by that is if you don't do that, you are confining and the organization is confining itself to thinking the way it's always thought. Yeah. And, and what we know is there are not many organizations around that, that started off a hundred years ago. Um, so, you know, the Kodaks, the blockbusters, the yep. circuit cities of this world, you know, you're dooming yourself for, for failure uh, if you don't open your mind to different things. So, um, so I think for me, everyone listening to this podcast, I would encourage you to recognize the fact that you have confirmation bias. And, mm-hmm. therefore, you know, my challenge to you would be, what are you going to do about that? You know, how are you going to start to see things in a different way? And then, you know, put some things in place, particularly those people looking to improve the customer experience, recognize that that that's going to be a challenge for you. Uh, and again, you know, think about how you're going to uh, overcome that confirmation bias in in the people that you talk to. And not least of which is, your, again, and we talked about this before, your customers. Um, you know, we know customers don't like change. If you think of the introduction of Coca-Cola and, the, you know, the new Coca-Cola flavor and, you know, um, various different um, things like that, you know, people don't like change at, uh, at all, basically. Yeah, I mean, it. This isn't specific advice, but maybe you can underlie kind of a more general piece of advice. Part of the reason that confirmation bias is so prevalent is that we don't we don't like change, we don't like risk, and we like to feel confident. Uh, if we didn't have confirmation bias, then that would mean that we'd be open to changing our opinions more often. And and to some extent, that's kind of scary. Like we like to feel like we understand what's going on. We like to feel like we've made right choices. And so we're predisposed to not reevaluate. 
So to the extent that you can make people feel safe and feel confident and reduce the perceived risk, all of those things should help people overcome uh, this confirmation bias and help them be open to new new ways of thinking. I've just thought of something really interesting. Does does finally? The fact that, Gosh, thank gosh. you. Yes, absolutely. I've had the revelation. Woo! So, <laughs> does thinking about that we've got confirmation bias means that we've got confirmation bias, but we haven't really got confirmation bias? <laughs> so maybe this becomes a circular thing. Uh, I'm happy to say I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> and on and on that note, there's nowhere I can take that at all. <laughs> good so anyway um really this really is a, a, a an issue uh, particularly yeah. for um for for people coming up with new thoughts and challenging the status quo etc etc so and we you, you hope, can't um, smart your way out of it it doesn't matter how intelligent you are how much experience you are is just part yeah. of being human so no cope with it uh, yes deal with it as they say good so thank you very much uh, uh ryan um, and thanks for everybody listening. Um, we hope you found this of use. Uh, if you can leave a review for us, that would be absolutely wonderful. Uh, if you've got any suggestions of um, what um, you'd like to um, uh, for us to talk about for the future, then just drop us a line or go to the Beyond Philosophy website um, and go to contact us and drop us a line. Uh, and we look forward to talking to you on the next edition of the Intuitive Customer Podcast. So thanks, thanks very much, everybody. Thanks. Bye. See ya. This has been the Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on the Intuitive Customer. <laughs>